Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, just before we begin this episode, just to warn you that it does contain some graphic descriptions of childbirth and the death of a baby during childbirth. So if you'd rather not hear that for whatever reason, then that's absolutely fine. Skip this one and I will see you next time. You're inside the womb. It's warm, it's dark, it's food on tap. Everything's going great. And then... From somewhere you hear a new noise that weirdly keeps time with your heartbeat. Faster, faster. No, slower, slower, slower. And then, just to spoil everything, a blinding light appears and you are being ripped out. Congratulations, you have just been born. By cesarean section. And in the corner of the operating theatre is the beeping machine. That, for better or for worse, had a lot to do with it. Hello, welcome once again to Patented. It's my pod about the history of inventions. I'm Dallas Campbell. I was not born by cesarean section. I was born, however, though, like most people on planet Earth. A hundred years ago, I didn't know this, a vanishingly small number of people actually had cesarean sections. And today, C-section is the most common major surgery in the world. One in five humans born on planet Earth, I don't know about other planets, arrive via C-sections. In the US, the UK, the rate is around one in three. In Brazil, it's over half. And the World Health Organization believes actually only one in 10 births should be C-section. And there's absolutely no evidence of any benefits above this number. How did we end up here? It turns out that the answer has a lot to do with a little known invention called the fetal heart monitor. It's a couple of sensors that are attached to a mother's tummy during labour. The other end hooks up to a screen that beeps and traces a wiggly line in time with the baby's heart. It was supposed to fix pretty much everything that could go wrong with labour. But then the law of unintended consequences kicked in. That's according to my guest today, the very wonderful Jackie Wolfe, who is a historian of medicine 
at Ohio University, and she's the author of the book, Caesarean Section, An American History of Risk, Technology, and Consequence. She is also a return guest of Patented. Hurrah! Loyal listeners will remember her from, it was an episode we did on the invention of baby formula, which is a really good episode. A classic, some would say. So go back and listen to her talking about baby formula if you've not heard it before. Anyway, enough, Dallas. Enjoy the show. Jackie, now listen, where on earth do we go? Where do we start with this question? And no one invented the caesarean section, did they? How, I mean, how far back can we go? The origins of actually cutting a woman open and delivering a baby is really from ancient history. And the word caesarean is simply from the Latin to cut. That's really the origin of the term. The myth is that the term cesarean section came from the birth of Julius Caesar. But Julius Caesar was not born by cesarean section. And we know that because his mother lived to a ripe old age. And in that era, every woman who had a cesarean section, you did it after she died. Uh, You did not do it to save a woman's life. Caesarean sections were performed in ancient history simply after a woman died in labor And it was done to assure that there was a descendant, that someone would inherit an estate. And that was the only reason, was to try and preserve a family legacy by making a last-ditch effort to deliver this baby after the mother died. I had no idea about that. So right back in ancient history, the woman would be be dead, and there was no, no case of her being alive. And now think about this. Let's talk about the state of surgery before the mid-19th century. We didn't have any kind of anesthesia until 1847, when ether was discovered. 1848, chloroform was discovered. We had no knowledge of the germ theory of disease, so no one thought to, you know, have anything antiseptic during surgery. No one, no one imagined that things you couldn't even see could kill you. So surgery was really dangerous. You didn't do it to save someone's life. Certainly not cesarean surgery. And it wasn't even attempted to be used to save a woman's life until well into the 19th century. Crikey, so when was the first caesarean section where the woman actually survived? The first record in a medical journal in the United States of a caesarean section was in 1827. So this is before anesthesia. So it's a very detailed story in a medical journal. The cesarean section took place in the southwest corner of Ohio, near what is now Cincinnati. And it's a a fascinating story because it's almost something out of Edgar Allan Poe. The doctor writes about it. it was a very, very stormy night. The woman, it took him a lot of time to get there because the roads were so bad and so muddy and there was flooding. The wind was howling and the woman lived in a very, very poor cabin so that the wind was howling 
through the cracks in the logs. The midwives who were there who had summoned the doctor were holding blankets in front of candles so he could he would have light to operate. Otherwise, the candles would blow out. This is the description in this medical journal article. The woman was in the throes of a terribly hard labor. She was convulsing and yet making no progress. Her cervix wasn't dilating. And the doctor finally decided that the only way he could possibly save this woman's life was to remove the baby surgically. Everyone, he consulted with everyone there, including the poor woman who was in labor. They all agreed to this. And then he proceeds to describe cutting the woman from her umbilicus down to the end of her pubic bone and he tried to remove the baby. It's a very gory story. Let me warn listeners. He tried to remove the baby, but the woman was in such agony. He begged her to stop. So no anesthetic at all, no chloroform or... She had no anesthetic. He said the baby was so uncommonly large, the woman was in such agony, he literally had to remove the fetus in pieces. And this was a full-term baby. I shouldn't even refer to it as a, as a fetus at this point. He had to remove the baby in pieces. Now, what was unusual about this story is the woman survived. Gosh, that's a gruesome story. And so that's the, that's the first time a woman survived. Let's jump forward a long way to 1960s America. By then, it was possible to perform a cesarean section with a good chance of success for mother and child. But it was still a very rare procedure. And then this new bit of kit gets invented, the fetal heart monitor, And it's this invention that really redefines how we think about C-sections. The fact that suddenly, in real time, you can monitor a baby's health. That really was a a big new bit of kit. You're absolutely right. The reason I wrote the book that I did about uh, the history of cesarean section is because I was so interested in how cesarean surgery became normalized, went from one of the most dreaded of operations to literally the most common surgery performed in most countries now around the world. And I became very interested in how that happened. And it is a complicated story, but if I were to pinpoint one thing that actually normalized the surgery, it would be exactly as you said, it's the electronic fetal monitor that normalized the surgery. Now, before the electronic fetal monitor, whenever a woman was in labor, a midwife or a doctor or a nurse, depending on where the woman was giving birth, would always monitor the fetal heart rate, but they would do it with a fetal stethoscope. So every 20 to 30 minutes, whoever was attending the birth would check on the fetal heart rate to make sure the fetus was doing well. I've interviewed a lot of doctors, and doctors before the fetal monitor, they would say, you know, I delivered for 30 years, and With a fetal stethoscope, maybe once, twice in 30 years, I would hear fetal heart tones go bad, and I would have to deliver by cesarean. It would be very, very rare. So in 1969, the fetal heart rate monitor was introduced. It was invented by a Harvard obstetrician named Han, H-O-N, it was his last name. And the thought was, was that Why would anything negative happen if you can continually monitor a baby's heart rate when a mother's in labor? Only good things can come of this. And the predictions were that the fetal monitor would eliminate stillbirth 100%, would eliminate cerebral palsy 
100%, would eliminate any bad things, even low APGAR scores, admissions to the neonatal intensive care unit, that you could wipe out anything bad that could happen to a baby during labor. Because you could rescue a baby. You could pinpoint exactly when a problem started. You would continually be monitoring the heart rate, not intermittently, but continually. And therefore, you could rescue any baby. That's the key thing is that it's the fact that a stethoscope, you can only very periodically listen in and get a get a sense of what's happening but you know anything could happen whereas the electronic version you can have a monitor and you can watch it in real time and I should add, one another reason the electronic fetal monitor was so exciting and so easily accepted is that a fetal heart rate is twice that of an adult's. So it's really hard to count it accurately because it's so fast. And so the thought was that it would eliminate human error, that you would have this machine telling you exactly what to do. It would beep and buzz if the fetus was in trouble, and you could instantly rescue it with an emergency cesarean section. So the problem was, I mean, we know now that you don't introduce a medical technology without testing it first. And what should have been done was the randomized controlled trial. What should have been done is many, many women should have been randomized while they were in labor to either get the fetal stethoscope intermittently surveilled or continually surveilled with the fetal heart monitor. But everyone thought, why waste time doing that? It can only do good things. So let's not do any testing. Let's just introduce the monitor. First of all, I want to ask what the little machine looks like. And I've got a little picture. This is from Life magazine. Um, so I guess this is, this is, I'm trying to see if I've got a year for this life magazine. Uh, 1969, I think. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you very much. And it's got watching the unborn inside the, inside the room. Just tell us the, the picture. Cause you've got, you've got the woman lying down with the doctor over her, but then you've got this other doctor kind of in the foreground peering at this monitor in, in the, uh, in kind of silhouette. Just explain what's going on in this, in this image. See, I love that image because it shows how much the monitor change the nature of childbirth. Because before the monitor, the cues you would get would be from the woman or from the fetal heartbeat. It would be from the woman's body that you would study that to be able to tell what was going on. But the amazing thing about that photograph, it's so telling because you have actually two physicians in the room and one of them is dedicated to doing nothing but staring at the monitor in that photograph. And across the room is the doctor standing by the laboring mother, but his eyes aren't on the laboring mother. They're on the colleague across the room who is staring at the monitor. So the message in that photograph, which was in Life magazine for the public, it was intended to introduce the public to the fetal monitor. And the message is the fetal monitor is all important. The laboring woman is almost irrelevant. It's the monitor that's going to tell you what's going on. What's interesting about this photograph, and and listeners, you should you should definitely Google it. Google watching the unborn inside the womb, womb life magazine. It, it's all, a, to me, looking at it, it's all about trust. And suddenly the trust has moved from human beings to the monitor. Because the thing in the foreground of this photograph is the monitor, Dr. A in the foreground looking at the monitor, and Dr. B in the background with the poor woman looking at the doctor. Everything is pointing towards that bit of technology and that bit of kit. And that's a, that's a big shift in, in, hu- in the way that human beings work. When we trust physicians, obstetricians, doctors, suddenly we're not thinking about them. We're thinking about a bleeping screen. And that, if that's brand new, I mean, that must have been a seismic shift. 
Think of how it changed the attitude, too, because here you have what one person referred to at the time as kind of a default invasiveness. You have this machine in the labor room that is kind of hinting to everyone anything can go wrong at any minute. So the fact that you have this blinking, beeping machine that, you know, women eventually described as quite reassuring because as long as it was beeping at a certain tone, it meant the fetal heart rate was okay. But still, it, it heightened the level of risk in terms of medical culture because you had this machine that was constantly reminding you that anything could go wrong at any moment, which is actually nonsense because births tend to go quite well. Back in the early 20th century, doctors would say, yes, about 5% of births need medical intervention, but 95% of them go really well. And we are now at a stage where in industrialized countries, we have major abdominal surgery for anywhere between 25 to 50% of births. Whereas in an era before we had all the modern accoutrements that we do now, only 5% of births ran into trouble. So even obstetricians will tell you our cesarean rate is far too high. How on earth did that happen? And the monitor is part of the story. We try to bring you cold, hard facts on Gone Medieval, but January is all about mysteries, Impossible riddles from medieval history that defy efforts to solve them. How did the presence of a mysterious saviour from the East turn into devastation? What secrets does a book written in an unknown code hide? Did kings and princes really die when history has assumed they did? I'm Matt Lewis and in January we'll see how close we can get to answering the unanswerable and ask how these mysteries might be solved in the future. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So we've got this new bit of technology, and then we've got 
technologies like antibiotics and surgery's got a lot safer. And we're seeing this kind of hockey stick graph of, of more and more people having cesarean sections. When, when, when does it suddenly sort of get into the realms of almost sort of cosmetic, almost the kind of too posh to push world of cesarean sections? Let me explain the relationship that the fetal monitor, though, had to this increasing cesarean rate you just described. Because the monitor was introduced in 1969. It wasn't until 1976 that the first randomized controlled trials were done that should have been done in 1969. And the reason they were done was because, indeed, the cesarean section rate began to rise. And doctors became very concerned. There were all kinds of efforts to bring it down. They weren't quite sure what was going on. What doctors who I interviewed described at the time was they were seeing all kinds of these peaks and valleys on the fetal monitor that made them very nervous. They were rushing to the back to perform a cesarean section. And very often it turned out the baby was not in distress. So finally, they did a couple of things. At first, they thought, okay, doctors need to learn how to read the monitor better. So one of the things they did was, at large urban hospitals in the U.S., they set up a very, very distant monitoring stations in other states where the most high-level experts in reading the monitor would be stationed. And they could get an emergency call. This is even before fax machines. I know fax machines now. Some people don't even know what they are because they're not even used anymore. But even before fax machines, they set up something with Xerox where they could send the monitor strip over the phone lines. And these experts in distant states could read the monitor strip and then advise whether or not a cesarean was necessary. What they discovered was, and these were the top-level experts like Edward Hahn, the inventor of the monitor, people who had helped invent the monitor, and they could only agree on the meaning of a strip 68% of the time. That is how the most high-level experts could only agree 68% of the time. So the average doctor didn't have any idea what they were looking at. They didn't know it at the time. So then they started taking the umbilical cord blood and seeing what the pH level was after the baby was born and realizing we performed a cesarean, and yet the cord blood is perfectly fine. The baby was not hypoxic. The baby was fine. Okay, so then in 76, they did these randomized control trials. And what happened was they discovered that the fetal monitor didn't change outcomes at all. The cerebral palsy rate was not lowered. The number of stillbirths were the same. The number of missions to the neonatal intensive care unit were the same. The only difference in outcomes was that Babies who were monitored with a fetal stethoscope, the cesarean section rate remained low, about 6%. And then those who were monitored with electronic fetal monitor, the rate was 16%, which in 19... We would love to have a 16% rate now. But in 1976, that was considered high. What was the, the sort of take-home lesson? Was it that we put too much trust in, these, in, the, in the fetal heart monitor at the, at the beginning to really sort of properly understand what it was that it was telling us? No one could wrap their heads around the fact that 
they just assumed if you can monitor the fetal heart rate, you can judge when a, when an infant is in trouble. I mean, the thing was, we hadn't continually monitored heart, fetal heart rates ever before, and so no one really knew how the fetal heart responded to a contraction. Now, a, a labor contraction, which is completely normal, indeed puts stress on the fetal heart. But, you know, anything that happens during labor is really good for the fetus. This, this is what people are not willing to realize, because it seems, you know, going through that tiny birth canal seems, relatively speaking, seems like, oh my goodness, what stress the baby is under. But babies live for nine months breathing in and out amniotic fluid. And the one thing that squeezes the amniotic fluid out of their lungs is that trip through the birth canal. It's really good for the pulmonary bed. Babies born by cesarean section, 100% of them are born with wet lung, which is not a good place to be born in. Being born vaginally is really good for babies. Labor is good for babies. Hormones cause last-minute lung development, last-minute brain development. So labor is not a threat to babies. It's an aid to babies. And yet... I don't think people know that, though, do they? Do, are people aware of that? Crikey, I had my kids a long time ago. I can't remember now. We went, we went to the sort of baby classes, and I never remember anyone telling me that. See, this is the problem with cesarean section being normalized, because once it was normalized, it was thought to be, okay, vaginal birth is not that controllable. It's painful. Surgeries can be controlled. Surgeons are capable of, you know, deciding when it's going to happen, the cut, you know, it's just thought that surgery is is better controlled and you don't know the timing of a vaginal birth. You don't know how as long it's going to last. You don't know when it's going to start. So suddenly we had spent hundreds of years thinking cesarean section is so dangerous. Then with the normalization of cesarean section, the onus of risk was suddenly put on vaginal birth as opposed to surgical birth. Wow, that's really interesting. It's Gosh, all a cultural I... development. Yeah. There is no way, if, if birth among humans was that problematic, that one in three births had to end in major abdominal surgery, we would not have survived as a species. I mean, just objectively, we are performing far too many cesareans. It's not good for babies. It's not good for mothers. Dallas, let me say though, let me pause to say, and you really should highlight this. I do want to acknowledge cesarean sections can be life-saving. We really, we really should acknowledge that. In cases of cord prolapse, in cases of transverse lie of the fetus, meaning the fetus is lying sideways, in cases of placental abruption, like what happened to Jackie Kennedy, when a woman starts to hemorrhage because the placenta is peeling away, it can be life-saving. In cases of placenta previa, where the placenta covers the cervical opening, it can be life-saving. But let me add, these conditions occur in less than one, far less than 1% of all pregnancies, each one of them. So we're performing far too many. Yes, it's a life-saving surgery, but if it's unnecessary, it's a life-threatening surgery. It means lifelong health problems for the baby in terms of asthma as one example. And for a woman, if a woman has a cesarean section that is not medically necessary, the death rate among those women after giving birth is three times higher 
than a vaginal birth. You perform a surgery if it's medically necessary, not otherwise. Are we going to see a bit of a, a cultural shift in the way that we saw a cultural shift away from baby formula back to breastfeeding? And baby formula was this great, going to be this great savior, this great miracle. Are we going to go back to no, 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 C-sections out, natural birth back, back in fashion? Until we can educate, and even doctors, professional organizations have said, in low-risk births, we should be going back to the fetal stethoscope, and yet it hasn't happened, because several generations of obstetricians have been trained on the fetal monitor, how to read fetal monitor, heart strips. They are loath to give up this technology. They rely on the machinery. It is going to take so much work to get rid of equipment like that and to think about what the normalization of cesarean surgery has done and to step back from that normalization and explain to women, this has been not good for women or babies. There we go. Hey, Jackie, we're going to pause there. I hope, dear listener, if you're pregnant, <laughs> then this has given you some food for thought. Listen, Jackie, th- thank you so much for coming on again. Every time I read your stuff, I'm always like, well, I'd never thought of thought of it like this before. Really, really fascinating. Can I end by giving women a little tip on how to what they can of do course. to avoid cesarean surgery if they don't want cesarean surgery? Pick your provider carefully and consider, I know everyone has different healthcare systems. We have the NHS here. We don't get a choice to pick <laughs> providers. <laughs> but I do know the NHS now is actually trying to convince women to consider home birth. Possibly now. I can I can imagine that. It's like <laughs> we're, 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 we're strapped for cash, go and have your baby at home. Well, no, but let me point out that midwives and family doctors, as opposed to obstetricians, have very low cesarean rates. So consider a midwife or a family doctor as your provider. Unless you have a high-risk birth, there really is no medical reason to see an obstetrician, that family doctors and midwives are. They're the experts in vaginal birth, and they would be just as good. And they would refer you to an obstetrician if you were high-risk. Another thing you can do is refuse to be induced unless there's a medical reason for it. You know, you talk about, we talked about electronic fila monitoring as a technology. The technology of the artificial induction of labor has also contributed to the higher cesarean rate because it's not normal labor. And if you want to avoid a cesarean, you want normal labor on your side. Don't let a doctor induce you unless it's medically necessary. And the third thing I would tell young women who are pregnant is if you want to avoid a cesarean, labor as long as you can at home. Labor takes a long time. The minute you're at the hospital, they are already messing with you and it's very stressful. Your labor slows down. Because of the fetal monitor, you can't walk around in the hospital. you tethered to a bed. Those three things alone, if women could take it upon themselves to do those, that alone would lower the cesarean rate. There you go. I always recommend a very hot curry. Maybe not. Anyway, Jackie, thank you very much for joining us again uh, and taking us on a, wow, who knew? Thank you very much. Hey, what's the title of your book? So, so if people want to find out a bit more. The title of my book is Caesarean Section, An American History of Risk, Technology and Consequence. That's the point, risk and technology. These are really, this is the interesting thing about this story, risk, technology and, and other cultural factors. Believe it or not, I was I was looking at it in preparation for our talk and I have to say, Authors become very divorced from their books after writing them. And I was reading it thinking, this is really interesting. (laughs) Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. <laughs> so... Yes, I, I wrote a book a few years ago and I, I, I haven't looked at it for ages. And I had exactly the same thing. I picked it up the other day and because I needed to research something. That's why I wrote the book, so I wouldn't have to remember it. And I was like, oh, it's pretty good, this actually. Wow. I thank my editor for that rather than my own, my own talents. No, your book's lovely. But there it is. Listen, Jackie, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget, get in touch with any suggestions and don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you can bear to i will see you next time thank you very much for your company as ever while i still have you very briefly if you fancy getting all of the history hit podcast archive and new episodes ad free along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch download our app across apple app store google play and smart tv platforms follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's PATENTED for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.